Hello and welcome to Oxford EdChat. These sessions are recorded in Twitter spaces and hosted by Oxford University Press. We are excited to welcome you to this discussion on supporting teachers in Wales with reading and we thank you for joining us after a busy day in the classroom. With me this evening is Andrea Quincy, Director of Primary Literacy here at Oxford University Press and we're delighted to be joined by our special guest Rob Brandle who's been a primary teacher in South Wales for 16 years. Thank you, Sam. Uh, welcome, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be here with Rob Randall, who, like me, is a passionate advocate of an evidence-informed approach to early reading instruction. Um, so the format for the session is uh, Rob and I are going to just chat uh, for about 30 or 40 minutes. Um, we're going to talk about the science of reading, what the research tells us, and the implications of that research for teachers in Wales. And then, as Sam says, we hope to have time for a few questions at the end of the session. So, Rob, I wonder if we could uh, start the session by just talking about the end goal, what we're trying to achieve for young people in Wales here and what the reading, what the role of reading is in achieving that goal. Yep. Hi, Andrea. Um, and, and thank you to the OUP as well for hosting this and um, welcoming me on board with this Twitter space. Yeah, so the, the end goal in Wales and, and the need for reading, um, for high quality reading instruction in Wales, is really set out within our four purposes. So we're, we have a purpose-led curriculum in Wales. Um, we want ambitious, capable learners, enterprising, creative contributors, eth ethical, informed citizens, and healthy, confident individuals. But if we zoom in a little bit closer at some of the statements which we have in Curriculum for Wales under healthy, confident individuals, it says um, we want our learners to have the skills and knowledge to manage everyday life as independently as they can. Now, the, the, just being able to do that is going to be impossible without um, good reading skills going into their futures after their schooling, um, whether that's, and, and also just leaving primary school, going to um, tackle those secondary school curriculums. Our primary children need to be ready to, to, to engage in the, in the curriculums that they're going to be facing in secondary. So the end goal is really, giving our learners, giving our children um, the skills and knowledge, really, so they can go about and manage those everyday um, lives of theirs independently. Great, thanks. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, the Curriculum for Wales clearly aims that, to have all children having high standards of literacy. That's sort of, I can't imagine any curriculum that didn't want that. But there's also an emphasis on, as you say, children being confident and capable and compassionate citizens. And, and clearly reading is a big part of that as well. So it's not just the academic aspects of reading. It's the sort of social and emotional aspects of reading that are really important here. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you know of the, the great thing about Curriculum for Wales is that one of the positives is the, um, the emphasis on reading for pleasure as well and um, emphasis on having developing um, sort of the well-being element of being able to read and what that allows you to, to, to do, to be able to escape into a book, to escape into a novel, to, to um, experience the feelings of the characters in a story, as well as those, um, the everyday uh, need for being able to read. Um, yeah, so I, I might just jump in here, if you don't mind, Andrea, with some of the challenges faced uh, with this in Wales. Um, because it's great that we have this ambition within our curriculum, that we are, we are um, 
we do have that end goal and those purposes in mind as we're planning um, our in-school curriculums. But we don't have really um, a, a clear um, set way of teaching reading in Wales. And, and I guess in a way, it's a bit like the Wild West. That there is a lot of variation in what schools are doing in order to approach reading instruction in the schools. So we do have sort of the good, the bad and, and the ugly happening with, you know, and we want to really focus on the good. You know, there are a lot of schools in Wales who have, you know, progressive, rigorous, cohesive um, approaches to teach and reading in their schools um, where they are using a high quality um, systematic phonics program in the early years to make sure that those children are acquiring those decoding skills early on and that they're they're developing those skills to lift the words off the page and also developing vocabulary, comprehension, um, fluency, um, sort of those key pillars for being able to read well. Um, however, there's, there's no sort of, we don't have a reading framework in Wales like um, we see England have. Um, so that means that some schools can choose to take other routes where it's, um, you know, schools, give teachers a lot of agency which of course that's to be welcomed in in many respects but when it comes to reading we can't really allow teachers to be pick and mixing um, what they do and taking their own approach each year to how they deliver reading in their school or how they teach reading in their school um, we need to have cohesion in that curriculum so one of the big challenges we face in wales is this variation across the whole of our nation there, there is no sort of um, guidance which strictly sets down how reading should be taught. So we do see, um, you know, systematic phonics being taught, but then it often stops and it's not seen as being something that the whole school needs to be um, using. Um, and often it's seen as something that stops at year two and it's something that doesn't continue on then. And then we end up with mixed approaches happening in, in key stage two with regards to spelling when of course we want phonics to continue for the spelling element as well. Um, so I guess the challenge we've got in Wales is how do we get professional learning to happen? So we have all of us um, engaged in the research around reading and that, we're, and that our school leaders are making the best decisions for how reading is taught in our school. Absolutely, so I suppose to, to reflect on the research and what the research tells us, I mean, the first thing that it's always important to acknowledge is that reading is a really complex cognitive activity. Um, there are many different things going on in different areas of our brains when we read and bringing all of those things together in a moment in order to extract meaning from a text or generate an emotional response to a text. All of those skills we're not born with those skills. Those skills need to be taught and developed and honed over a long period of time. And then if you add to that the sort of psychological aspects of reading, so our motivation or not to want to read in the first place, um, then it, it's sort of, it's not surprising that some children just never get there because it's a, a complex web of things that they need to be doing and need to be taught to do. Um, and they've got to be motivated to want to do it. So we often talk about, you know, children having the skill and the will to be readers and the importance of both. And that's where, you know, the research sort of helps us understand how we give children the skills 
And there's also a lot of new research coming out now around reading motivation and, and the things that make a real difference to actually connecting children with books and with reading as a, as a social activity. Um, so I suppose to, to summarise, you know, teaching reading is hard. <laughs> um, I don't think we can, we can deny that. But as with everything in life that's really difficult, the benefits of doing it and succeeding at it are really, really significant. And so we, we really can't give up on the children who struggle to learn to read and who can't read because they are the most vulnerable and the most disadvantaged and the ones for whom reading really could make the most difference. So if we look at the research, um, what's great is that, you know, we have this research that breaks down reading, the complex challenge of teaching children to read into what we see and what, what we know is the simple view. Um, and often when I see the phrase simple view of reading, I think, golly, how can you boil such a complex thing down into a simple view but the simple view of reading is really helpful um, because it it tells us about the two key dimensions for the teaching of reading as in word reading lifting the words off the page decoding <clears throat> excuse me the you know the code on the page and um, language comprehension um, and it's the coming together of these two aspects of reading that make us readers so those two aspects of reading always need to be considered and developed in parallel. It's not a case that we do one and then do the other. They have to happen together. But we also know that separating the instruction of word reading from the development of language comprehension um, is also really important for managing cognitive load in children. Um, and the other thing about word reading is it's, it's a fairly fixed and therefore time-limited um, task um, and whereas language comprehension is that continuous learning journey. And that journey starts with early talk, with play, with songs and rhymes and reading to children, um, and is, of course, most enriched and enabled longer term throughout a child's life and into adult life through their own independent reading. So there's a, there's a moment in time when we need to give them those word reading skills and enable them to lift them off the words off the page um, and then we need to sort of continuously support their language development and understanding of language in parallel and, and alongside that. Um, and there are clearly there are lots of different approaches to teaching word reading, but I think it, it's now widely acknowledged that systematic synthetic phonics is the most effective method, particularly for those children who enter our schools with such a limited knowledge of language. I know UP's done a lot of work on on that and you know acknowledging the the language deficit that a lot of children are coming into school with and obviously we've got pupils with English as an additional language so what phonics does is it unlocks the code of our language for all children regardless of background um, and I think the view is that you know phonics isn't going to harm the ones who probably would get there anyway but phonics makes a real difference to those other children, those more vulnerable children, those children who need um, the structure and the rigour and the routine that phonics gives us. So, Rob, I know you, you, you talked a little bit about systematic phonics um, and the importance of that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the approach that you've taken in your school and your experiences of using a, a phonics approach um, for early reading? So I think that'd be really valuable to just reflect on your own experiences. Yes, so um, I think a lot across Wales, really, probably the, the, the most popular uh, programmes are 
sort of read write ink phonics from the OUP. Um, but we've also sort of seen um, letters and sounds and jolly phonics, which have been really pop popular across the nation. Um, and I, I'm not sure if there's a great deal of awareness of the other programs which are out there. So you, you did, I know, I think we may get onto that later with what the OUP offer, but um, um, I think that we need to raise awareness in Wales really that there are other programs out there. But my experience with uh, using Read Write Inc was initially, it was a brilliant program to use. Um, I think it started around sort of 2012. Um, we began having training on that program and it was sort of, quite a big rollout of that scheme um, across schools and the whole school invested in this where all the staff were trained teaching assistants were trained and the whole system was in place where we we had the children grouped there was someone managing it really well so we had a literacy coordinator managing the the phonics groups and assessing them making sure that they were in the in the correct uh, groupings um, and then th th there was a clear routine for that happening too from reception um, through um, with each morning the children all going off to their groups and it was really well organized and put together and it, there was pace to it you know it's consistency all the staff were trained the leadership were on board everyone was enthusiastic about using it however you know over time the manageability of that program for us um, became more difficult as staff left as there was reductions in budgets and, and we lost members of staff, uh, the cost to retrain staff. Um, also sort of the, the time needed to assess the pupils and getting them into the right groupings. Um, often we found then if those groupings weren't right, we, you know, it, it felt like we were almost widening the gap because the children who were in the, the maybe the, the, the sort of needing more support groups, um, you know, was almost staying in those groups and they weren't making the progress necessary to to be with their peers. And then they were moving into key stage two and it was a case of, oh, they're still on phonics. They're still on phonics. And then we had children in those groups, uh, maybe in year three or four or older, sort of working with children who were quite a bit younger in those groups. And then, of course, what um, sort of factors into that then is the self-esteem of those people's working with those younger younger children and how they feel about themselves and they and their own ability to read and that was quite heartbreaking then to see how they were feeling about the process of reading and possibly thinking it's just not achievable um, for them but this wasn't a case of the program for read write inc because um you know originally it worked really well and it was just a matter of trying to maintain that and and continue the um sort of the, the work that we had been doing with it. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, phonics, you know, having a phonics programme and, and committing to teaching children to read is, is as I said, it's a big task. Um, and I think it does require investment, leadership, um, a sort of a whole school, whole team approach. So how did you, how did you make that, work for you rob or or other things that um sort of lessons that that you've learned and and things that you've adapted um or things that or other kinds of phonics um resources that you feel the teachers in wales need to know more about and again i, I can come on to that in a minute but i 
I just think there's, you know, just being aware of some of the other programs where there is, you know, possibly where Read Write Inc is difficult to manage, which for, you know, I know that there are schools in Wales who use it amazingly well. You know, I've seen, um, I've been to see schools and seen examples of schools just doing a, a phenomenal job with Read Write Inc. But some schools which just don't have the capacity to, to follow the scheme with the fidelity that it needs, uh, possibly need um, a program that's more of a whole class teaching approach where the whole class are taught um, and, and then intervention then is, is you know, w w you're assessing children and they might be getting pre-teaching of the phonics or they might be get, getting a little bit of extra support um, in the afternoon um, or one-to-one -one su support so the whole class are being kept up really rather than allowing these gaps to grow if we can't manage read write ink as well as we could um yeah 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 so i mean certainly in england the situation we've been in for for quite a while now is there's there's been read write ink which as you say is it's an amazing program it has an enormous impact um and when it's used really well and and supported really well through the leadership of the school it, it, it's just brilliant um, and thousands of schools use it really successfully and then on the flip side we've had letters and sounds which has been a sort of a broad framework for teaching teaching phonics um, but hasn't necessarily had the rigor and the um, you know the structure and the support that the children need and teachers have been able to adapt it and use it in different ways and sort of fit it in with other programs and it hasn't always been effective at teaching reading because of that. There are just a couple of things that it's probably worth reflecting on around, you know, phonics programs. Um, one of the things that often teachers don't like or teachers find difficult or problematic about phonic programs is the is the routines and the repetitions and the fact that you're often sort of doing the same thing with children every single day and it it can be considered quite dry. You're teaching sounds, you're repeating sounds, etc. Um, but what the research tells us is that that repetition and routine is really vital for those learners, um, and it's really vital for you know forming those connections in the brain that help us um, retrieve that knowledge and that learning um, when we're presented with a, a word to read or a text to read. So the routine and the repetition is is there for a really good reason. Um, and it means that children can really focus on learning the sounds, learning to blend, learning to read the words and get that sort of skill mastered as quickly as possible so that they can, you know, free up their brains to develop the understanding of what they read and, and the enjoyment of what they read and kind of move on to become readers. So that's that's one thing. Um, and I think, you know, at Oxford, we're really proud of the fact that we're able to offer schools that choice when it comes to a structured phonics programme. So as well as having Read Write Inc, we have the Floppies Phonics teaching programme, which was developed by Deppie Hepperwhite. Um, that is no less rigorous, no less research based. It just takes a different approach that is more whole class, more flexible, um, looks at sort of focused phonics teaching, but then more incidental exposure um, to to other language for children um, and that is that is really popular it, it uses the Biff Chip and Kipper characters which a lot of schools still still love um, and then we've just published um, probably about just over a year ago now um, a program called Essential Letters and Sounds 
which has been really successful for those teachers who were doing letters and sounds, those schools that were using the letters and sounds framework, but actually just wanted to tighten up their practice and bring consistency and, and fidelity to what they were doing across the school. So again, the children, if the children are on one program in reception and learn the routines and the, the sort of mimes and the mnemonics and the um, the visuals of that program, and then they move on to something different in, in year one, or they don't follow the same approach then it's it can be really confusing and that's what was happening in in a number of letters and sounds contexts in England um, so the essential letters and sounds program which was developed by a school by two, by two teachers in a school um, has been really successful for for us and for the schools that have adopted it in just it you know it's not as big a um, a bigger investment of time and energy and money as read write ink but it's based on all the same fundamental principles of a high quality phonics program. Um, and the training is, is robust and, and accessible. Um, and the resources are, are really fun and, you know, easy to use. Um, so again, um, if, if anyone's interested in, in the different phonics offerings from AUP, and obviously there are lots of phonics offerings from other publishers as well, but, um, you know, one of the great things that we can do is we can come in talk to you as a school understand your needs and and the kind of school that you are and the kind of challenges that you're facing and then pick the right program for you or help you choose the right program for your context and your school um, so that's something that we can offer um, if if people are interested so um, um sorry andrea uh, something that no, carry work, on. um just something that is um you know, a positive with ReadWrite Inc. in our school is the use of the uh, decodable books, which sort of accompany the scheme, the match text, which follow the sequence of how the code is taught. Um, and those books going home then for independent practice and being part of the, the book bag routine. Um, so being able to send a sort of match decodable book home, um, along with maybe a, an additional book for parents to read to their children as well, um, which, you know, might contain more advanced vocabulary, but again it's sort of expecting uh, parents to read that to their child and then having the decodable book um for for um for the child to practice independently uh, so that's really strong with read write ink so you mentioned so, so is that the same for um um for floppies phonics and for the els uh, programs which which you have yeah it certainly is and i think i think that's another thing that it's really important to get across. So, so if you're teaching children to read with certain strategies and in a certain sequence, you're teaching the, the code in a certain sequence, it's really important that the books you then ask the child to read, in, particularly if they're reading those independently, absolutely match to what they've been taught. Um, because if they don't, then you're, you're just sort of giving the child a problem and making them feel like a failure. So Read Write Inc. has always had uh, a really closely, tightly knit structure of decodable books that are sent home or that are used in the, in the teaching and then sent home at, at certain points once the children have learned that code and, and can successfully decode and blend the words in those books. And they're never presented with anything that they can't do. Um, and that's true of floppies phonics as well. And it's true of essential letters and sounds. And I think what's really important is there's this sort of perception sometimes that some books are decodable and some books aren't. And the really important thing about 
decodable books is that decodability is relative to what's been taught. So you can never absolutely say that word or that book is decodable. Um, it's only decodable if you've been taught the skills to decode and blend the sounds in that word. So the word cat is only decodable if you know those sounds and how to blend them together. Um, the word, you know, and you can pick any word. Um, and there comes a point when pretty much every word is decodable if, if you've got the skills and the experience and the knowledge to unpick it. Um, so I think one of the important things is for schools to think about how they are choosing decodable books that match the phonics teaching program that the school has chosen. So there's no point teaching phonics, uh, teaching jolly phonics, for example, and then trying to use read, write, ink books. Um, it, it's really important that you you have a scheme for teaching that is um, supported by match decodable books that work with that scheme. Does that make sense? Um, yes. And I, and I think that's where, you know, it's not just about the level of the text or the, you know, it's really hard for us as publishers to say, yes, this text is 100% decodable because we don't always know what's being taught. So you need to be using the text alongside the teaching for it all to kind of hang together and work really effectively. And I guess that's where the, the training and the professional learning when that program's introduced um, into a school is so important. It's so vital that teachers have the knowledge to know how those books match in in accordance with the sequence of the code knowledge that's been taught, um, because possibly later on you 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 could maybe you know if you're a teacher and you have the knowledge of um, what books sort of have that code knowledge, uh, you you can sort of introduce those to the children. Is is that could that be the case where if you have decodable books already in your school and you take on another scheme, um, is there a way that you can use those? books or um also uh, you know another challenge in wales is that a lot of schools are using um maybe what what has been termed leveled reading books and sort of with more of a balanced literacy approach so they've got scores of these books they've got lots of these books in their school um where these sort of color banded books from reception all the way through um which encourage those multi-queuing strategies which we want to sort of move away from to where we, we want a research informed approach. So if schools do come on board with the research and they decide to adopt um, a high quality systematic synthetic phonics scheme, what are they going to do with these level books? What are they still able to be used or are they to be thrown out? Um, yeah. For me personally, I, you know, I'm sure you'll provide a, a little bit more balance um, to my argument on this, but I really don't want to be encouraging those multi-queuing strategies of looking at the picture to guess and guessing from context. So for me, I I sort of want to put those leveled books to the side, but I'm sure, but also at the same time, not wanting to get rid of resources which can be valuable to a school as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and we've been on this journey in England. I mean, it, it's been a 10-year journey, really. Um, and so I, I would agree, you know, in, in, in an ideal world, certainly through reception and year one, when you're sort of the early years of teaching children to read, if what you're doing is expecting a child to read a book independently, to go home and sort of show off what they know, 
if you give them a book that requires them to use strategies they haven't been taught and includes words that they can't they can't decode they can't access some children will get it you know the children that are read to the children that recognize words just because they're surrounded by them those children will be okay but those other children those those disadvantaged children really won't and they could be put off reading really quickly by that sense of failure so i think you know in an ideal world Yes, you know, if, if you're expecting the child to read that book independently, it should be matched to your phonics programme. However, if you've got other books with rich language in them and you're confident that, um, you know, families could share those books together or you could use those books in school for shared reading and, and talking about language and that sort of language comprehension aspect. So using pictures to, to derive meaning from a text. I mean, there are brilliant wordless books and picture books right so pictures carry depth of meaning but that's a different thing with with then we're developing children's language um, and enjoyment of, of books um, so it's really about recognizing the purpose of different books and if schools want to sort of send home a phonics book and a decodable book that the child can read by themselves and then another book whether that's a library book or another banded book with clear instructions that you're not expected to read this yourself, but if you want to share it and talk about words and talk about the story, then that's fine. That's something that we we do see um, in in schools, and we do you know we do see as as, as valuable. Um, but what is really tricky is where where you know children are taught phonics um, in the day, and then. They're sent home books that require multiple strategies that they, they just don't have and they, they can't use. Um, so I, I, I'm agreeing with you there, Rob. But, it, you know, I'm also mindful of the fact that schools have invested lots of money in books and no one ever likes to throw books away. Um, what I would say is that um, certainly at OUP, we can provide lots of guidance. Again, if our consultants come in, they can find out what have you got in your school um, what might match with a phonics program, particularly a letters and sounds based program? It's harder with read writing; that's a bit more self-contained. Um, but you know, being able to help schools make use of resources they've already got um, is something we're, you know, really willing to help with. Um, so again, that's that's something we can look at for schools. I, th I think that's an important message that you you put across there, Andrea, because. Um... You know, a lot of the maybe um, negative comments towards phonics in Wales is maybe a misunderstanding that it is about um, just maybe this barking at print sort of idea when it's not that at all. We're giving the children the skills to lift these words off the page and then we can develop those other skills too alongside that with um, with vocabulary rich text, which adults can read aloud to their children who can share those books with their children we're not preventing that no no one's stopping that from happening um but what we're, we're making sure of is that those children are getting this the skills or, or learning the alphabetic code in a systematic way um so they they can develop into independent readers themselves and they don't develop these bad habits um in that journey that they're taking yeah and i think other strategies you know They'll get some children so far, um, but there's only so many words that we can sort of hold and recognise 
um, and so many words that can be cued from pictures. I mean, I've been in publishing 25 years. I've created multi-cue strategy books, and I can tell you that picture cueing abstract nouns is one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just not, it, it's just, you know, it's quite simple, really, that if we equip the children with the skills to become independent readers as quickly as we can, and we give them all that other stuff around the edges of phonics. So phonics is only one part of reading. It's, it's cracking the code. And around that, we need to immerse them in a language-rich curriculum, in a, in a story and talk and, and all those other wonderful things, sharing stories, encouraging parents to keep reading to children even as they get older. We need to model what fluent reading looks like. We need to teach children how to sort of um, look for clues to, to the meaning of a text. Um, and, and all of those things are happening, at, you know, in parallel. But what we can't do is, is teach the code um, and then try and sort of bring the language and the joy and the motivation back in because that's a short, you know, if you spend two years just doing the code and then you expect to sort of suddenly turn children into readers, that's not going to work either because um, they won't know what reading's about. You know, we, we need to make them understand that reading is not just about barking at print and getting to the end and ticking the box they're actually supposed to be getting something from this process, which is around meaning, enjoyment, learning, finding new things out, meeting new people through stories, etc. So I think it's it's a really important message around phonics that it's it's just part of the mix, but it's a really critical part of the mix at the at the very beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're intertwined, aren't they? The, the, the those strands of if we think about the um Holly Scarborough's reading rope, the the how those strands are intertwined of uh, word decoding and sort of the comprehension of the text as well. Um, yeah. So in terms of Wales, one of the, what, you know, a challenge that we face is around maybe assessment then of those reading skills, because we have national tests um, at the end of each year, but these tend to focus heavily on that one strand of comprehension only. Um, so they tend to be comprehension texts and it, and, and if, um, if children have a lot of knowledge about the subject, that subject content, which happens to be in that um, assessment that, that happens, children often score quite well, but if they don't have knowledge of it, of course their, their scores aren't so, so, so positive then. But we don't really, we don't have a um, phonics check in Wales like we see across the border in England. And we know sort of evidence it t tells us that um, maybe having that screen and check in England is quite a, is a really good predictor of their future comprehension skills. So it's a, it's a really important check to have um, early on. Now it's not mandated in Wales, um, but it's something that is free, which is there for, for schools to download. And then, and then they can maybe get a picture of how their school is doing um, in comparison with those schools in England, which are doing really well. Um, but is there anything else that we can do as schools to assess for um, the decoding skills um, early on? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, every high quality phonics programme will have ongoing assessment built into it. Most phonics programmes work on a sort of keep up, not catch up basis. So teachers, again, through the training will always be observing and checking 
any misunderstandings, identifying any gaps really quickly so that they can address those gaps in in smaller groups or one-to-one sessions or whatever. Um, So I think, you know, a good phonics programme will will help you do that. And then, yeah, like you said, the the phonics screening check is is a pretty simple test to administer. Um, It's easy to sort of... um, interpret the the results of it it's not a complex assessment so um that's something that is great to use across the school to to sort of screen children and see where they are with their phonics um in terms of assessing reading comprehension again i i I mean there were lots of reading assessments available and an oup isn't really a provider of standardized summative tests which are again can be quite expensive and um difficult to administer and and again require training Um, I suppose the important thing with assessment again is consistency Um, you know if if you're assessing children in one way in one year group and another teacher's using a different kind of assessment so I think it's about understanding the kind of assessment that you need for your school ensuring that all staff know how to use it and how to interpret that data that you're getting from the assessment and then using that that assessment or that type of assessment really consistently um, and and with whatever regularity it needs to be used to sort of do that summative thing. Um, one thing that is worth people knowing about um, is that, you know, reading, assessing individual children reading and particularly reading comprehension can be a really time-consuming process. Um, if you're listening to children read, um, asking questions about their reading, Um, doing some sort of running record, checking their understanding, you know, it's really time consuming. And comprehension tests, as you say, you know, it's a bit luck of the draw. Either you know about dodos or whatever's in that, whatever's in that passage or not, and that can skew the results. So one thing that we support schools with is that sort of cumulative evidence gathering of reading in relation to lots of different texts and we can do that digitally through the Oxford Reading Buddy uh, reading service that we we have. Um, so that's like a digital library of books. So again, children can access those. They can access books that are at the right level for them. They can um, take a quiz. Um, and it, I'm saying quiz, but it's actually quite a sophisticated mini assessment of their reading. And that, um, you know, can give the teacher some diagnostic insight into is this child good at um, inference or vocabulary? Um, where have they got a weakness? So that is, it's not really an assessment, but it does give you that cumulative evidence across a number of different texts um, of where the strengths and weaknesses of, of individual children lie. And it's done, you know, um, quickly on screen for every child in a really efficient way. Um, so the data is captured in an efficient way the teacher then can look at that evidence and decide if that aligns with their real world experience of that child. So um, I think it's um, I think it's a really valuable service if, if people are interested in that. Um, I'm yes. conscious of time. Rob, was there anything else that you wanted to um, reflect on um, in terms of things going on in Wales or or help for? Um, teachers I think we've covered most of the things that we we wanted to cover but is there anything else from your perspective before we ask for a few questions? Well I know this the the main focus here was primary but there's sort of that transition element then up to secondary school Um, 
we've had evidence from our inspectorate in Wales that, you know, that we, we have some secondary schools who have an intake going into year seven with maybe 60% of their pupils with reading ages of less than 10. Um, so this is quite a challenge for our secondary schools, considering, um, you know, pupils have spent seven years in primary school and then they're going up to um, secondary still with quite a lot of work to do um, around decoding and fluency. Um, so is there anything which can be done there to support our secondary schools in that transition phase um, up into year seven and maybe to help them there as well so they can continue with those approaches? Yeah, so so of course we've, we've got the Fresh Start um, scheme, which is a phonics programme particularly targeted at the top of primary and, and lower secondary learners so that the resources are more age appropriate. Um, I think we see as well that that challenge of transition and of course what's really important is getting it right at the start for as many children as we possibly can and sustaining the impact of early phonics uh, by supporting children's progress so once children come off a phonics scheme once they've sort of mastered the code continuing to give them some structure and support around their reading um, whether that's through leveled books or uh, sort of the libraries and the culture of reading in the school it, it's really important that we sustain you know the benefits children have got from a phonics program through key stage two so that when they get to key stage three they're reading um, I think the the biggest problem we have for our secondaries is is partly the age appropriateness of the resources so possibly not enough um, phonics resources have been designed with older pupils in mind and that's certainly something we're we're looking at and thinking about how we can address that um, and then you know just the structure of the secondary school and whose responsibility it is to get these kids reading is is can be quite challenging. I don't know if that's the same for Wales, but you know, if you're um, if you're in a proper intervention group and you really can't read, and the Senko is, um, you know, working with a small group with an intervention, that that's sort of one thing. But there's a whole sort of middle range of children, isn't there, who aren't fluent read. They can read, but they're not really that fluent. They're not really good enough to access all of the secondary curriculum. But they're not sort of weak enough to be in a proper intervention group and I think that's a group of students that that really deserve our attention they're the sort of forgotten middle perhaps but certainly for, for phonics um, the fresh start program has been really successful for turning things around for children in in upper primary and lower secondary and and just getting them reading as quickly as they can and and getting them to feel successful and motivated because again, the, these children have failed and, and know that they failed and know that they can't. And um, actually, the older they get, the harder it is to, to bring them back. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but certainly I think, you know, having worked really hard with our schools to train them around phonics and help them understand phonics, we're really looking now at what what do we do beyond phonics how do we sustain children's reading um habit if you like beyond phonics and how can we help schools with that and that's through our our approach to leveling so oup has its own unique approach to to leveled readers which 
um, has a phonics base, um, but also looks at vocabulary and grammar and the things that come after phonics, and also looks at you know the age of the children, um, and and we can we can share information on that, um, and that is designed to sort of provide a spine. But again, like phonics, those levelled books should always be used alongside you know, reading to children, having a library full of interesting, relevant, diverse books and reading champions within the school who, who build that culture, build that enthusiasm for reading as a, as a sort of long term project, not just a, you know, let's dress up one day a year and, and tick the sort of reading for pleasure box. But let's really embed that culture um, that puts reading at the heart of learning in every school. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, with Curriculum for Wales really does put um, a lot of emphasis on that element of that reading for pleasure. So we are in a positive place with regards to that element of things. And I think you, you, you hit the key point now, really, is that we need to make sure that we get it right at the start. You know, if, if we're leaving it until that transition moment to, to play catch up um, and to try and correct some of the... Um, it, it, some of the bad habits that have um, occurred for learners you know it's a lot harder for our secondary schools to address that so we need to have a look at our primaries don't we and make sure that we do it right um, with that early reading instruction right from the beginning yeah yeah and uh, as we said at the beginning you know the goal is that children become readers they enjoy reading they're motivated to read whether that's reading for learning or reading for pleasure it's great to have that as an ambition that ambition is never going to be realized if children cannot read. And so, yeah. you know, you just keep going around in circles. <laughs> um, if, if, you know, exposing children to wonderful literature and, and, you know, making them enthusiastic for reading is, is there, but we're not equipping with children with the skills early to do it themselves and get there themselves, then, then we're not helping them. It's like showing someone a really fancy car and but they can't drive you know it's it's um it's not fair so it's both and it, 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 that's the really important message i think is that all of these things have to hang together um in order for children to be be successful readers and happy um, which is ultimately what we all want 100 percent, great great well well thanks thanks rob it's been great chatting to you I, I i hope there are still people listening i'm enjoying our conversation i hope some people are still listening to us um is there anyone with any questions in in the last five minutes or so oh hang on we have a we have a request from uh iram i hope i've pronounced that correctly i'll just give you the mic iram to ask your question and then i'll mute you again so that andrea and rob can answer yeah um, my name's iram woolley and um yeah i'm the school governor for three years um we're, we're doing ofsted visit tomorrow morning and um, yeah, I just wanted to get your heads up on any tips on, you know, with regards to phonics and reading, because I'm in charge of oracy. I've just been made in charge of that. So yeah, I would be really interested to know, you know, what sort of things, you know, tips you can give us for tomorrow and just generally, you know, you know, how can we increase engagement with our children, especially when they're at home and, you know, when they're, when they're not in class and, and that kind of encouragement. How, how can that work especially when we have people who are living in sort of very deprived communities and maybe English may not be their first language and things like that thank you 
And presumably you're in a school in Wales, are you, Iram? Um, no, I'm actually in the UK. But because I follow you on Twitter, I basically bookmark all your stuff. So, yeah, I find it really <laughs> useful. So I've actually been using that as a prompt to do stuff for my role as a school governor. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure I can advise you on um, how to handle your Ofsted inspection in the morning. I think that's probably... Um, beyond the scope of this um, Twitter space. But I think, you know, the, the key messages really and the key things that Ofsted is looking for in England are um, that consistency and fidelity when it comes to a phonics programme. So ensuring that you've got you've got one clear approach um, and all teachers know how how it works and how to use it and how to teach it effectively and that the decodable books, as we've talked about, um, match up and align with what's being taught so that when children are reading at home they've, they've got the confidence of what they've learned in school to apply to their to their reading um, there's a lot of evidence that um, phonics is really effective for children with English as an additional language um, in fact I think I'm right in saying that in the last phonics screening check the EAL pupils actually did better than um, children for whom English was first language um, because it's a code and, and often those children, um, you know, it, it, it's easier for them to sort of crack the code. And a, a lot of foreign languages are phonetically based and, and, and so it sort of makes sense for them. And in terms of engagement, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big question, um, engaging children at home. Again, just sending home books that are really refreshing and great. I mean, we, we work really hard to make our phonics books um, as engaging and fun to read and as motivating as um, other leveled readers that we've made in the past. Um, we want children to enjoy the process of learning to read. We want them to be able to show off to their parents what they can do. Um, and again, the digital reading um, service that I talked about is another great way to sort of connect home and school because children can um, be reading you know, on screens, on their phones, um, on the devices that they're all attached to and and benefiting from that. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that helps. Um, as I said, big question, not, not very much time, but um, good luck with Ofsted tomorrow. Thank, thank you. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you. Okay, Andrea, I'm not sure if there'll be any more questions. I'm sure if someone wants to jump in, you know they're more than welcome to um uh, there's somebody on twitter who's asking saying we haven't talked about welsh medium schools oh okay so it's a good question um be because in the welsh medium schools they have an immersive um approach to to welsh so phonics isn't going to begin in until year three so you know i think you know, it's going to be a, almost a different topic, I suppose, of how you're going to introduce the code knowledge then, which is required um, from year three onwards. But the principles behind the science of reading are going to remain the same. Um, there's going to be some overlap of code. Of course, in Welsh, there's, uh, there's 29 letters and they're, they're not all the same letters as, as which are in the English um, uh, alphabetic uh, system. But... And, and also Welsh is a, is a lot easier. It's a lot more transparent as a, as a code to learn with um, there's 37 sounds um, in the Welsh language with 48 different spellings. When if we sort of compare that to 
English where there's 44 sounds and, and sort of maybe 175 common spellings or different spellings for those different sounds. English is a lot more complex to teach. So the principles of the science of reading apply to Welsh as much as they do to English with, with how our sounds are represented by, um, by letters. Um, I think if we can get that instruction in Welsh, in, in the Welsh medium schools done really well, following the same principles as the English um, uh, systematic synthetic phonics programs, sort of teaching it in a systematic way of that code knowledge in a sequence. And I know there are Welsh schemes that do that already and do it and do it really well. I think maybe as Andrea was saying about second language learners, when they start approaching the English code in year three, you know, if the Welsh code has been taught well, potentially or hopefully they're going to pick up the English um, medium co code just as well, or, or possibly perhaps even better. Um, but I'm not sure what um, Andrea's feelings are uh, towards that. It would be interesting to, to hear. Yeah, I, th I think I'd agree. And I think on the point of, you know, starting this teaching, introducing this learning in, in year three, there are, you know, again, that's when you need to think about does the phonics program I, I might want to choose feel age appropriate? Are the resources flexible enough to work with those older students? And I think, again, you know, something like Read Write Inc. probably is. Um, we, we have schools that use Read Write Inc. right up until year four or five essential letters and sounds as as well we've we've really thought about making that suitable for, for older learners whereas something like floppy's phonics perhaps because it's so rooted in those very early learning characters it might might not be right but um yeah i definitely agree that you know the principles of decoding and blending and using phonics as your route into reading words is 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 the same and there is flexibility, I think, in curriculum for Wales, where, you know, it doesn't have to, that, that teaching of the English code doesn't have to wait in, in Welsh medium schools until year three. I'm sure um, yeah. each school designing its own curriculum is making those decisions for itself according to what best suits the needs for their learners. You know, they, do they bring it down into year two? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting question, really. And that's why Wales is maybe quite a complex nation with this bilingual element which is happening. Yeah, it's, it's an added challenge. Um, so, but thank you for, for picking up on that question. Yeah, so just a big thank you to the OUP for sort of giving a bit of a platform really to reading instruction in Wales and raising awareness really. And, to, you know, I'm, a, I'm an advocate really and I'm a bit of a campaigner, I suppose, for improving the situation in Wales with regards to reading instruction. So it's great to have Andrea as an expert sort of given her insights and, and given more detail and, you know, putting it across in a much better way than what I could possibly do. So it's, I'm really grateful to the OUP for, for your work and um, just branching into Wales and, and, and sort of getting people on board with the science of reading here, like is already happening in other parts of the world. Well, thank you, Robin. And yeah, as I said, really interesting to chat to you and to hear the context for Wales. And we're really keen to do whatever we can to support teachers in the different contexts that they find themselves. So, yeah, look forward to talking further. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oxford Ed Chat. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please DM them to us at OUP Primary on Twitter.